Well, hello, everyone. Today's message is one of those supplemental podcasts we do every now and then here at New Denver Church. My name is Norton. I'm one of the pastors. And uh, we just wrapped up a three-week series called Science and Faith. And we talked about science and faith, generally speaking, and then we dove into the specific issue of evolution and creation, because that's one place where there seems to sometimes be some tension for folks about science and faith, and whether they're at odds with one another, or whether they're complementary with one another. And so, I wrapped up the final message of that series and acknowledged there's a few questions we didn't get to specifically around this issue of creation and evolution. Um, I offered some different ways of reading Genesis 1 rather than 1, 2, and 3, rather than reading them literally or scientifically or even historically. Uh, perhaps they were never written to be read that way or to be interpreted that way by us thousands of years later. And so I offered some different views, but um, there were certainly some questions we didn't get a chance to talk about. So uh, today I just want to briefly touch on a few lingering questions that you might have. But before we do that, I want to suggest some resources. Uh, This is one of those topics that there has been a lot written on, and it's hard to wade through all of the information. Um, It can be easy to go down a rabbit hole and not even realize that what you're reading or what you're looking at is presenting uh, a very specific viewpoint. Um, There's a famous website called Answers in Genesis uh, that you might think is just, oh, it's going to help me provide some answers for how to read Genesis. Well, that's true. That's the goal of the organization that put that website together. But uh, the folks that put that website together are strongly committed to a young earth uh, creationist literal reading of Genesis. And so when you go there, you're going to get very specific answers that support that viewpoint. So um, today I just wanted to provide some resources for you to dig deeper Uh, And so we'll put links to these resources in the show notes so you can click on those, but um, I'll walk through them real quick. Uh, The first is actually an article written a number of years ago by famous pastor and theologian Tim Keller. Tim Keller was um, a very well-respected, intelligent uh, pastor in New York City. Um, He always spoke and communicated in a way that took uh, deep issues, uh, and made them accessible. And so he wrote an article a number of years ago called Creation, Evolution, and Christian Lay People. And, uh, it was delivered at a conference for an organization called BioLogos. It was a gathering of a whole bunch of scientists. And he delivered this talk where he talked as a pastor of how to engage these questions with people in his congregation, people who are really smart and were trying to sort their way through creation and evolution. And so he offers a number of different ways uh, to do that. So it's a great article um, and uh, in many ways represents some of the things we've talked about, that science and faith are not at odds with one another and there's lots of ways they complement each other. And so uh, you might read that by Tim Keller, Creation, Evolution, and Christian Lay People. The second is a book. Uh, it's the, called The Language of God by Francis Collins. I mentioned Collins in the first message of the series. Collins, uh, or maybe the second message. Collins 
is one of the most decorated scientists of our time. He's a biologist and a geneticist. He oversaw the Human Genome Project and then became the director of the National Institutes of Health and is now the advisor of science to the president. And uh, he's also a Christian who believes in the Bible and follows Jesus. And in light of his work on the Human Genome Project, he wrote this book called The Language of God, where to him, he explains how the more he learned about genetics and the way humans were mysteriously and miraculously made, uh, the more it deepened his faith in God. Um, He also describes in that book how it also deepened his understanding of evolution and evolutionary processes. And for him, uh, that didn't threaten his faith or his understanding of God or the book of Genesis in any way. So if you want a pretty cool um, report from him uh, about genetics and an understanding of all that and how that interacts with a belief in God, take a look at The Language of God by Francis Collins. Uh, Here's another book. Uh, It's called I Love Jesus and I Accept Evolution by Dennis Lamoureux. Uh, Dennis Lamoureux has literally three PhDs um, in both theology and in science. He teaches science at uh, a university now. And he was one of those folks who many years ago was very much in the camp of believing that Genesis was literal and that the earth is young and that evolution is not true. And he was even setting out to prove that. And the further he got in his knowledge and understanding and his studies when he did a PhD in biology, he came to see that the evidence just wasn't there. And uh, he, this is actually this book, I Love Jesus and I Accept Evolution, is a shorter book that's a summary of a much longer book where he dives deep, deep, deep into the issues of evolution and Genesis and science and faith and all that. So if you want a deep perspective, um, he's a great place to turn. Uh, I have three more books to recommend, and the next three are written by biblical scholars. So they're less about science and more about how do we understand the early chapters of Genesis and what are biblical scholars thinking. So these really, again, don't address questions of science, but how can we read and interpret these passages best? Uh, so the first book is called um, the, the Evolution of Adam. Uh, The subtitle is What the Bible Does and Doesn't Say About Human Origins by Peter Inns. Um, He focuses on the story of Adam and Eve particularly and uh, what it might have meant in its original context. And then he spends quite a bit of time talking about how uh, even Paul in the New Testament talks about Adam and Eve and how we need to understand these things together. So um, The Evolution of Adam by Peter Inns. And then the last two books have been groundbreaking in the world of biblical scholarship in the last uh, 10 years or so. They're both written by John Walton. The first is called The Lost World of Genesis 1. And then the second is The Lost World of Adam and Eve, which is basically Genesis 2 and 3. So in both of these books, Walton, who is a deeply respected Old Testament Hebrew scholar, 
um, really goes deep into the original context of these chapters in Genesis 1 for the first book and then Genesis 2 and 3 for the second book and what they might have meant to the original audience. And if you heard the last message in the series where I discussed uh, temple inauguration and worship, um, Walton is one of those who really has uh, helped us better understand that idea. So um, they are uh, a little, they're written for a wide audience. They're not necessarily scholarly books, but they deal with very scholarly topics. So if you want to go deep into studying and understanding uh, those original texts, uh, take a look at those books. There's a lot of others, but um, that's probably enough uh, to get you started at this point. Now, let's wrap all of this up with a few questions, lingering questions, because essentially I suggested that Genesis 1, 2, and 3, and really the, the first 11 chapters of Genesis, scholars put all 11 of the first chapters together, um, are different and might not be interpreted literally, historically, scientifically as this modern scientific text. Um, and if that's the case, then uh, there isn't a conflict with science. The earth can be 4.6 billion years old. Evolutionary processes are how life came to evolve on earth. And that does not threaten or question anything about our reading of Genesis. Um, this used to be called theistic evolution, people who held this viewpoint, because it meant, as a Christian, I can accept the theory and understanding of evolution, and that does not raise questions about whether I believe in God or not. Um, to believe in that does not make me an atheist. I believe that God was behind all of those processes. He created all of those scientific processes, just like he did with thermodynamics and gravity and fluid mechanics, and everything else that we know about how the world works. Now, uh, one question that you might be thinking is, could the theory of evolution still be wrong? Is it possible? I know, Norton, you said that there's a lot of evidence for it, and most scientists accept it, and I would say not most, but pretty much all. Is it possible that it's still wrong? And I have two answers. The first answer is, of course, yes, it's possible. In the sense that science is never 100% certain and comprehensively accurate about everything it concludes. Scientific discovery and the process of doing science, it's always open to correction. It's always open to new discovery. It's always open to revision of old understandings. If we have learned anything from history, the last four or five hundred years of, of the scientific revolution, then we should know that scientists are regularly expanding and sometimes correcting their knowledge of things they used to believe. So yes, any scientific knowledge we have today should be held with a posture of humility where we say it is possible that we are wrong about this. That said, it's extremely important to acknowledge that our understanding of evolution is not new. This is not something that has been developed in the last 10 or 20 or even 50 years. 
This has been studied and developed for almost 200 years now. It doesn't start with Darwin. People were talking about this before Darwin. Darwin was just the first to to pull a lot of these ideas together in the 18, I think it was 1859 when he wrote On the Origin of Species. So almost 200 years this has been studied and developed and the evidence for evolutionary process, biological processes for the development of life on earth is robust and comprehensive. It's not a guess for scientists at this point. It's not like we're 60% sure about this or 70% or even 80 or even 90%. It's more like, if I had to put a number on it, it's more like 99.9%. Now again, some of the details of how evolution works itself out and did in the past, we can't go back to the past and measure that. So some of, there are holes in understandings that we have and some of the details of our lack of understanding about specific biological processes will continue to be worked out and understood better. Of course that will happen. And there will be revisions and new understandings. But the general idea, the overriding principles and theory of evolution as a whole is extremely well established and proven. So it's really dangerous to talk about the theory of evolution being wrong. It's similar to talking about our understanding of gravity being wrong. It is that well established at this point. Now, you might think or ask, what about these folks called creation scientists? And um, those are people who hold to a young earth or an old earth creationist viewpoint. They are scientists and they present evidence that contradicts evolution. Um, What about them? Because aren't they scientists too? And aren't they presenting counter evidence that suggests evolution is wrong? Let me be really honest and I want to be respectful here. The evolution presented against uh, the evidence presented against evolution is just not good. It is grasping at straws. It is not accepted or validated by respected scientists. It is not taught or put forth at any respected research institutions or universities in our country or in our world. Uh, Let let me put it this way. The only scientists that present evidence against evolution or set out to disprove evolution are scientists who have already predetermined before they examine that evidence that they are going to hold to and believe in a literal reading of Genesis. Now think about that. If you have committed yourself to a literal reading of Genesis and you are a scientist, then you have no choice but to believe that evolution is wrong and it must be a conspiracy and it's my job to poke holes in and uncover this conspiracy. Let me put it another way. I do not know of a single scientist who is not a Christian 
that is already committed to a literal reading of Genesis and who thinks and concludes that the scientific evolution uh, evidence for evolution is weak and that evolution is not true. Meaning, if there was real scientific evidence that challenged evolution, would there not be some scientists who are not Christians who were coming out and saying evolution is not true? But there are not any. I, I literally do not know of a single case. So I don't doubt the sincerity of uh, scientists who are creationists. I don't doubt their intelligence. They're smart people. I don't even doubt their scientific credentials or their desire to know or uncover the truth. I'm simply pointing out that they have already pre-committed to a literal reading of Genesis. And there isn't a single individual who hasn't committed to a literal reading of Genesis who doubts the theory of evolution. So that should tell you something about the counter evidence that creation scientists are presenting. Now, here's another question. Um, if you're someone who listened to what we talked about for the last few messages and you thought, yeah, I buy that. And it sounds like Genesis, the first chapters of Genesis were not meant to be taken uh, literally or scientifically. But what about Adam and Eve? Were they actual historical people? Uh, some Christians who uh, adopt this perspective that science and faith don't have to conflict and that the, the evidence for evolution is overwhelming, some, some Christians still think that Adam and Eve were historical people, that God used evolutionary processes to create life in our world, and that those processes eventually evolved uh, creatures that are what we now call homo sapiens, and that's how God created humans and brought them into our world. He used evolution to bring homo sapiens and to create us as homo sapiens. But then, at some point in time, there's lots of homo sapiens God specifically picked two of them, two homo sapiens, and he uh, gave them his image. And, and those first two were Adam and Eve, and that's where the historical part of the story starts. So that's one option, one way to read these texts. Now, let me point out a problem with that. If you're still taking parts of the story as not literal, but then parts of the story as literal, that raises some questions, particularly when it's the same story. Because Genesis 2 very clearly starts by saying God made Adam from the ground. He, God just grabbed some dirt and he made Adam. And then there's this elaborate story about how God put Adam to sleep. And then he like reached inside of his, the side of his, you know, body and he pulled out some bones and he pulled out some flesh or he pulled out some ribs or whatever. We don't exactly know, but he pulled some stuff out and he fashioned a woman out of it and he made Eve from Adam's side. Now that's a very uh, literal description, if you will, but in the previous view that I just mentioned, you have to say, well, that's not literal. That's part of the story that we don't take literally. But then suddenly in the very next sentence, when it says there's a guy named Adam and a, guy, a woman named Eve, we do take those parts literally. 
So it seems like a strange place to have this strong dividing line where up until this uh, sentence, we don't take anything literally. And then the next sentence we do take literally. There's nothing in the story that suggests that. And because of that, um, many Christians believe that the whole story should not be taken literally, but that Adam and Eve are representative of homo sapiens or humanity as a whole. That, That Adam and Eve are like personified versions or representatives. They're not individual historical people. That's part of the creation myth or the creation story. And in fact, it's it's quite interesting. The word Adam literally just means human being. And then the word Eve, when she's named Eve, the word Eve in Hebrew means life. So this story about these two first individuals, the people are called human and life. And even right there, you could see Perhaps this story for us today is better understood as a story that's about humanity in general, but not about two specific historical people named Adam and Eve. Now, that raises some other questions, and uh, especially if you come to the New Testament, and I'm not going to wade into those because that opens up a whole other can of worms, because Paul in Romans, particularly Romans 5, we'll talk about these two uh, people, or at least he talks about one in Romans 5. He talks about Adam specifically. And in some ways, when he talks about Adam, he compares Adam to Jesus. And that's where some Christians are like, well, wait a second. We believe Jesus was a real person and he was historical. And it seems like it seems like Paul is comparing Adam to Jesus. So doesn't Paul think Adam is historical? And so maybe Paul does. Maybe Paul doesn't. Maybe Paul is just quoting, you know, or or referring to this story from Genesis, but he's not necessarily suggesting that it's scientifically true. There's lots of ways to unpack this. And that's where I would refer you to Peter N's book, The Evolution of Adam, because he goes into depth into this specific issue of whether Adam and Eve are historical people. And if they are, what does that mean? And if they are not, what does that mean when we get to the New Testament? And when we get to Paul's discussion of Adam. Uh, Here's another question. You might be listening and you might ask, can I still believe in young earth or old earth creationism? In other words, perhaps you have not convinced me. Perhaps I believe that Genesis 1 and 2 and 3 and the rest of the chapters need to be taken literally. And that the scientific evidence is not great. And I still want to believe in young... Are you... What are you saying? Can I believe in those options still? And my answer would be, of course you can. Of course you can. You can be a follower of Jesus and believe that the earth is not very old. And that Adam and Eve were real people. And that Genesis 1, God created the world with these words. And it happened exactly in 24-hour days the way it said... And that the you know earth is not very old. You, you can believe that. Or you can believe some other variation of old earth creationism. This is not a central issue of faith. Um, this is one of those matters that Paul talks about. It's like a disputable matter. Christians can have different viewpoints on this issue. And uh, if you want to take a more young earth or old earth literal viewpoint... 
and I don't, um, I still need to respect uh, your position and your interpretation. And if you take a different viewpoint than I do, then I would ask you to respect mine, right? That's what we do as people of faith when it comes to secondary issues that are not central matters of faith. We will have different interpretations and we have to learn to respect those in one another. That said, um, I, as I've outlined in this series, don't think those are the best ways of interpreting early Genesis. I think the science raises significant questions about it, but more importantly, it's not even the science. I just don't think the Bible is, uh, or the writers of Genesis are suggesting that that's how we should understand what they wrote. And so I've argued for um, a different way of understanding. And if you want to hold to an, a young earth, an old earth uh, position, you can. But I have two big cautions for you, or two big warnings. Uh, the first is that young earth and old earth creationists often believe that they are taking the Bible the most seriously, more seriously than anyone else. And if you don't hold their position, you're not really taking the Bible seriously. They often also believe that if you accept the evidence for evolution, that is a step towards atheism, and that is a step towards rejecting all of the rest of the Bible. And I would just challenge them and you, if, if you want to hold that position, to just say, that's not true. That is, that is not true. Um, people can take the Bible seriously, even if they come to the conclusion there are parts of the Bible that should not be taken literally. In fact, all of us believe that. None of us takes all of the Bible literally. Everyone believes there are parts of the Bible that should not be taken literally. And so um, it's not right to suggest that people who don't take young earth or old earth are taking the Bible less seriously or that they're on the slippery slope towards rejecting all the Bible and accepting atheism. That's just not true. So don't believe that. That would be one big caution. And then here's the second caution. If you do hold to young earth or old earth creationism, just know that you're an outlier. Just know that you believe something about the science of evolution or the science of the age of the world that virtually no credible science scientist in the world believes. And that you will uh, possibly be ridiculed or thought to be unintelligent or uneducated because of that. Because you're believing in something that very few educated people actually believe in. And the danger here is that you might be tempted to wear that as a badge of honor or pride, right? That you're being persecuted by the wider culture and that you're holding to your beliefs and your convictions and doesn't the New Testament say that followers of Jesus are going to be persecuted? And doesn't Paul at some point say that some of what we believe will be foolishness to the masses? Yes, the New Testament says that followers of Jesus will be persecuted. And yes, Paul says that sometimes what we believe will be foolishness to the masses. But they're not talking about an interpretation of Genesis. They're not talking about young earth creationism. The New Testament suggests that people of faith will potentially be persecuted because they are following Jesus in their life. And sometimes that will be costly. And when Paul talks about 
what we believe might be foolishness, he's talking about what Jesus did on the cross. That for a man to give his life on the cross, for the redemption of all of humanity, to offer forgiveness to people who may not even want that forgiveness, that that will sound like foolishness oftentimes to people. And so be careful to not conflate a belief in young earth creationism with following Jesus or what a follower of Jesus believes about the cross or the empty tomb. Those are things for which people might not understand a follower of Jesus, but it's not young earth creationism. Well, those are all the questions I've got. Uh, You might have more. I would just encourage you to keep these things in mind and to keep searching for what is true and to keep that search with humility. As long as we approach these issues with a sense of humility and a desire to learn and a desire to grow in our faith, I trust that God will lead us in these processes. I hope this has been helpful for you.